Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Jonathan Horowitz from Convive Hospitality coming up in a little bit. Before I join my co-host this week, I feel obligated to say something I've said a few times kind of throughout this pandemic. I know that there are larger issues going on in the world, and I recognize, for example, that there is an election going on right now and that people are voting all across the country to determine things about our future. Uh, We're going to keep this podcast focused on the things that we do best, which is to say bars and restaurants and dining in Houston. And so if you have voted, thank you for voting. If you have yet to vote, please vote. And how you vote and who you vote for and when and where you vote, that's all up to you. I'm not here to uh, change anybody's mind or, or try to convince anybody of any specific position. So with that said, let me introduce my co-host this week. She is a expert on food, wine, health, beauty, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. Yes, everything that Eric just said. Go vote. That's it. That's what I got. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> Felice, before we jump into the news of the week, real quick, we should say you have opened a new business. You are a licensed esthetician now, and you have started a business called the Swanky Beauty Bar. Give the people the like minute, two-minute version of what's going on at Swanky Beauty Bar. You know... I love all things food, but I love all things beauty. And so, you know, during this pandemic, um, I got laid off, which was unfortunate, but it gave me an opportunity to go ahead and make this thing official. Um, I jumped in there, made it official, opened the business. I'm doing all things skin and just loving it. Like it is kind of, it, it gives me the opportunity to not have to be on a plane or, you know, traveling back to Houston, because most people didn't know I did, I've blogged for the last 10 years full-time and had a full-time job that had me traveling about 90% of the time. So it gives me the opportunity to be in Houston with the food, with the people, and just doing all things that I love. And I feel very, very blessed in this unfortunate situation that we're in. Well, I'm super excited for you. I'm glad to hear it's going well. Best of luck with the new business. And of course, people can follow can follow you on Instagram to keep track of what's going on. And of course, Swanky Beauty Bar has its own Instagram account website. They can make appointments for facials all and all the other services. Yeah, facials, back facials, booty facials, you know, all that. All that good stuff. Beard facials. Eric, I got something for you. So, you know, I'm all right, just I'm, I'm All right, I'm coming in. All right. <laughs> Let us let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, restaurateur Benji Levitt has sold the classic, his restaurant on Washington Avenue. He is going to use that money to focus on continuing to grow local foods, the sandwich and salad concept that now has uh, four locations around town. Felice, let me let me pitch it to you what do you think are you going to miss the classic you know I I enjoyed the classic um I didn't get there as much as I probably wanted to or should have I thought it was a beautiful location 
food executed very well. I just, you know, even being there, I just, it just never felt like it caught on. Um, I knew that, that, you know, they play with the menu a little bit. And um, so, you know, I had some favorites that always stuck around, but, you know, I'll miss it some, but I didn't go enough to be like just heartbroken. I'm always heartbroken when the restaurant closes that I really like, but I'm not going to miss it in the scheme of my regular snow. Right. I, I mean, I, again, like, I don't really get to be a regular uh, at very many places, but I did really like the classic. I thought it had a, kind of an appealing spin on kind of contemporary comfort food. So you could get like hummus and pita and matzo ball soup. You could get a really great roast chicken. Obviously they had a burger and steaks. Uh, they had a, a really good brunch menu. I thought their their Dutch baby in particular was was really delicious. So, and and you're right. I mean, you know, big, bright restaurant, really elegant redesign. Of course, it was it was the original Benji's on Washington, and it got completely transformed into the classic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, it's too bad. You know, I and it just, just never I, had that Benji's appeal, like. When we talk about like the original Benji's, like I would, even if I don't go there all the time, I go there at least a couple of times a year just because it makes me feel good. The food is good and it has like a nostalgic, comforting feel for me. Yeah, I think the classic was more pitched to kind of the, you know, the families in the area and maybe, you know, trying to kind of draw some of them in. Yeah. And I, it certainly did have a following. I'm, I've seen some reaction on, social media from people who are sad about this, but, but maybe it, it just never quite had that, that buzz that you, uh, you might've expected given the success of, of Benji's and local foods. And I, you know, I think the, the real estate market is, is, you know, definitely blowing up right now. And, and I mean, good for Benji for taking advantage of an opportunity to, uh, make some money and and work on local foods, which, you know, has been a highly successful concept. No, I agree. I agree. Local foods. Now that's my spot. Like when I remember when they opened a second location, how excited I was, and just them opening multiple locations. It just gives me um, kind of a reason to go, and I hope. And one of the things that they did when they did that second location, they had um, sandwiches you could only get at that location. And then the original location, you had to go there um, for that. So, you know, I like that because that gives me a reason to have to go to the original. And, you know, hopefully when they're, he's looking and um, wanting to do all these expansions, I hope that, you know, outside of, the loop and I know a lot of inside the loop people like it is outside the loop no 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 outside the second third loop I hope you know he gives some suburbia love a little bit that's all that 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 would be my hope yeah no they they are very tightly concentrated right three of them are inside the loop Bryce Village, Jeffrey Kirby and the Heights and then the fourth one is kind of in that Tanglewood Briar Grove area so it's very easy to imagine you know a kind of city center-ish you know, Katie Woodlands. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's I got, think that would be great. Got some plans. 
you know, they had announced some plans to open in Austin. I, I can't, I don't quite know whether that's still um, in the works or if that's been uh, put on hold by the coronavirus or whatever. But uh, yeah, certainly uh, a lot of opportunities for, you know, a healthy, family-friendly, relatively affordable sandwich concept. And the, you know, they're, yeah, I think the, the sky's kind of the limit for what Yeah. So I welcome that. I'm, I'm excited about that. All right, let us move on to topic number two. The Zimmerman family has released some details about the new restaurant that is coming to La Column d'Or. It will be called Tonight and Tomorrow, and it will be led by Chef Jonathan Wicks, formerly the Hotel Zaza. Tonight and Tomorrow will serve kind of what they're describing as modern Houston cuisine with a focus on local and seasonal produce. So, you know, uh, a, a real change from kind of the restaurant with Column d'Or uh, traditionally, which has been kind of a French focus, which kind of fits the aesthetic of the mansion and the ballroom. But, mm-hmm. you know, Le Column d'Or itself has undergone uh, a whole host of changes. It's been there's a there's now a 34 story luxury apartment tower uh, where, you know, its backyard used to be so you know, this restaurant, and then and then there's a bar called The Bar. Uh, so between tonight and tomorrow and The Bar, they will serve uh, the hotel guests and the apartment residents. And yeah, they've got a lot going on. Um, a lot. Let me, let me just put it to you. What do you think? Are, are, you know, the, the question with hotel restaurants is always, yep, will you eat it. there if you're not a guest at the hotel. Mm-hmm. You just said it. That's that's my thoughts. Thank you. That's my segue. Will I eat there if I'm not a guest? That is um, the question. Yeah, I'm more excited about everything being finished with the hotel than I am about the restaurant. Um, so that's a yeah. I'm, I mean, I I am. Um, I will go to the restaurant. That may be a good thing though. Like, I think the name is super cool. Like, I'm like, okay, that's interesting um will i give them a chance definitely because i'm excited about seeing the finished concept and so i have no expectations going in because in my mind i'm like it's a restaurant at a hotel that i'm probably not going to go to beyond that that's that's what i'm going in thinking now that's a good thing i have no expectations because they can wow me right like you know, I'm a customer that they can sway. Um, but right now I'm just like, okay, cool. That's, that's it. <laughs> well, you know, the restaurant had this kind of famous lunch special where it was tied to the price of a barrel of oil. So, you know, in the eighties when it was really cheap, you know, you could get a, a two or three course lunch or whatever it was that they did for, you know, $8, $10, whatever it was. So, you know, it, it did have, you know, that kind of elegant night out, you know, because the hotel itself was so, so intimate, you know, that it, you could go to La Column d'Or for dinner or you could, especially for lunch, you know, kind of a power lunch spot. Right. Back yeah. in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day, the power lunch, you did the oil. That, that's great Houston food trivia. Right. Um, the dinner, though, like you're saying, it's good for a romantic dinner, someone having an affair. Like, I mean, yeah, like, I, again, 
<laughs> I'm just, I, you know, I just have to be the voice of reason. I am excited for them because they usually do, you know, good things. So I have fingers crossed. I'm going in with no expectations and I want them to wow me so I can come back here and you're like, so, you know, are you just having an affair there, um, having dinner there and having an affair? Or are you going on a regular? That can be your question for me. And then I'll be happy to say I stand corrected. All right. Well, we will we will look forward to your answer to that question once it <laughs> opens, uh, you know, December, January, maybe in February. There's there's still some some construction to be done. So, you know, get in the hotel ready for its debut. But but we will keep that in mind. And then finally, topic number three. Three, Click Virtual Food Hall is rolling fresh off their partnership with Burger Chan to deliver, deliver the their signature burgers uh, through their delivery platform. Uh, they have added Ninja Ramen as of this week. Uh, and the way it's going to work is Ninja Ramen will make the ramen and their soft-boiled eggs, which they call mermaid eggs, they will deliver that to Click. Click will sort of finish and then uh, finish the rest of the preparation. And then uh, they will deliver ramen to you, assuming you live within about seven or eight miles of their location at Durham Drive and Washington Avenue. Um, they you know, do the damn thing say, over there at Click, Eric. They are doing they are the damn doing thing at there. Yeah, I gotta, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, been, I've been gently pestering Gabe Medina, the chef at Click, about getting him on this podcast to talk about all the things that they're doing. And I think I think he needs to come because they're doing some really good things that I don't think enough people outside the general area that are in the main delivery area, which I know you're probably their second number one fan now with your uh, new relocation. <laughs> um, you know, I think that he should definitely be on there and talk about it because I'm I'm excited about what they're doing, really. Well, right. It's a it's a super diverse menu, right? Because it's it's you know having Burger Chan is really nice, but uh, you know I get poke from there on a semi regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Gabe is Filipino. He's got a whole Filipino menu. They do pizza and tacos and sandwiches and uh, Japanese Japanese comfort food. I mean, it's it's and now they and now they're doing ramen. Uh, and and Ninja Ramen is is. In some ways, it's it's not a traditional tonkatsu broth, and so is kind of controversial. Some people, some people really love it, and some people are like, "I don't like that at all." Uh, and it's also got a real industry following because mm-hmm. it's open super late. Great Japanese whiskey selection. Uh, obviously, that is not available for delivery, but but I do kind of like the idea of being able to get ninja ramen you know, lunch and dinner seven days a week. Uh, it just seems like, it seems like a good partnership for, for both uh, entities, both Click and Ninja Ramen. No, I was excited when um, um, I saw when you wrote about it. I was like, oh, cause yeah, like your ramen delivery and how they're doing, I think it's very um, interesting and it's better than like, even if you're going and trying to get it to go and, you know, I d- it just doesn't quite make it for me. Like, so having them deliver it and them finishing it, I, I feel like it would be a whole lot better. I could be wrong. It could be the same, but in my mind, it yeah, works I, better. Yeah, I don't, 
I should have asked Chris Christopher Wong, the the chef and owner of Ninja Ramen, about this. I don't think they ever really did to go. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. But you know, when they were really running and gunning, that that wasn't a big part of it because you have to pack it. You know, you have to pack the noodles separately from the broth and the right the but pork there's separately. You can go and get it to go, and it's yeah. just not. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is not a to go for me. It's not a to go food. Like, right? You're saying it. It is different components you know kind of like pho like it's just hard to it, it it's just different right you may have to be willing to heat your own broth to get it up to temperature which you know most of the time it's just like let me open the boxes and dive in right i don't i don't <laughs> right. i don't want to have to do any work to finish it but but that might be the key that might be the key for getting uh to go ramen to be the right closer to the right experience i no, i agree but i'm trying to think what i'm I'm trying to think when I've gotten it to go because my cousin, they have the kids and we've gotten it to go and it just was less than stellar. Like I was just underwhelmed. Definitely wasn't warm enough. I think I just ate on the noodles because usually I'll start out eating it together anyway and then I'll eat them separately because, you know, I have weird eating habits sometimes. So Right, but you got it from a different restaurant. not from I did. I got it from a different restaurant, yeah. So I think if um, I, I would love to see how, how it's, it's done and hear feedback from people, you know, once it's delivered and stuff like that. Will they have instructions of what to do, which I think will be smart, you know, um, optimal, um, dining experience when they deliver it or put something on the, you know, let people know, Hey, this is what you need to do once, once we deliver it. Do you know that? Uh, no, I haven't talked to them about that, but I, okay. But but what I will likely do in the next uh, few days is order it and see how it goes. Because we're getting yes, we're getting a cold snap this week, and it's going to be ramen weather, and I can't. Yeah, Thursday, so that that'll be good. Yeah. All right, Felice, that does it for our news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. So Felice, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you first about Bistro 555. This is the Memorial Area French restaurant, uh, formerly known as Bistro Provence. Proprietor Genevieve Guy has uh, mixed things up a little bit. You know, and we we talked about that. Well, we should say we dined at the restaurant uh, with both Jenny and her publicist at their invitation. Uh, and we had dinner with them and, and caught up a bit. Uh, and she was really honest about it, you know, that the Bistro Provence had had a good run and she enjoyed it, but she wanted to do more French food than just Provencal food, right? She yeah. was born in, she was born in Alsace. She, Alsace, she lived in Lyon and, and Bistro, Pro, Bistro 555 rather captures a broader array of French influences. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a good refresh, right? Like it's um, kind of where she says I wanted to just freshen it up, and I think it's a good refresh. It's um, for if people went if you've gone there before, it kind of gives you like okay, well, you know what what's this about, right? Like it still has really some of the flavors that you would be familiar with, but I think it's um, 
welcomes a new crowd of diners and even I guess the traditional diners what gives them like a new restaurant but it's something familiar like in their area or the places that they're going I think it's great the, the concept where they're doing the five 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 apps five entrees five desserts and um you know at times we'll see that menu change so I I personally like a menu like that um I like big menus but I like menus that I can get around, get through the whole menu, and then at a point I know that I'm going to get some newness, and then I can kind of, you know, like that can be my my spot or my go-to. Yeah, no, I I think I think that's very well said. You know that that nice tidy menu, uh, five apps, five entrees, five desserts. And then, you know, it's changed, you know, there was a September menu and now there's an October menu. And I, I would think pretty soon there will be a November menu. And, you know, even if it's not, if it's not 15 new items necessarily, but even if it's, you know, even if seven or eight of them are changed up, you know, that way you can still get a couple of favorites uh, and you, you have a reason to come back and try something new. And there's just a lot. And, and really I'm, I think there was quite a bit that we enjoyed about our, our meal. Yes, it was. Um, I love, well, let me just say that spot. I've always loved that little spot. I always call it a little honeycomb spot where you're still in the city, but not really. It's just kind of a hidden gem. And um, the food was excellent. Um, we had really nice selections. I went with um, um, the steak with the, uh, um, the potatoes fried in the duck fat, which, I mean, how can you ever go wrong with that? Um, you had the duck, <laughs> you know, you had the duck, which was pretty tasty as well. Yeah, duck, I've duck all around, right? With these <laughs> like really nicely, uh, little orange segments that had been uh, sweetened up a little bit. Uh, you started with frog's legs. Let me just ask you, what did you, what did you think? I, you know, that's it's a very mild. I, I mean, all the all the jokes about it tastes like chicken. But it's uh, it was very mild, you know. The, the flavor was uh, subtle, as we might. Yes, say. and I love frog legs. Um, I could have, I would have wanted them to be a little more, have a little more seasoning for me. Right. But what made it okay was that riesling sauce um, that they were served with. The riesling sauce kind of, um, and I, they probably went with a little less flavor to not overpower the sauce, but I just think it could have had a little bit more flavor, but I still, you notice, I enjoyed the dish. You, <laughs> you know, right. I used the sauce, I used the delicious bread to sop up the sauce. Um, so I wasn't mad at it. Right. Uh, my duck was, was really nicely cooked. I know your steak was nicely cooked. Um, I, you must've enjoyed that apple tart because I, you gave me a bite of it. And then you took that plate back. <laughs> You know what, Eric, Quickly. you know, you don't have to put me on blast like that. You know, everybody made that, you know, things are not fair. Like I would have gave you more steak, more app, but that apple crisp was, I was, everybody made their choices. That's, that's all I'm saying. You, you made your selection, Mike made his, I made mine. And I just think that mine was a better selection. That's all I'm going to say. It was delicious. Yeah, no, I had a, I had a, I had a pavlova that I really enjoyed. Give me a little, little crispy meringue with a whole bunch of fresh fruit on top. That was really nice. But, uh, certainly, the the apple tart was the the hit of the day. 
Um, so just to, just to put a pin on this, um, you'll go back. I will definitely go back. Yes. I'll definitely go back. I'm looking forward to going back and I'm probably going to wait till November so I can try the new menu. Cause I feel like, um, between the three of us, we went through the whole menu for the most part. Yeah, no, we got a, we got a really good sampling. We did not get the, the snap or the, the salmon with the snapper mousse. I'd be sort of, that's like a really old school kind of classic French mm-hmm, dish mm-hmm. Uh, that I would be curious to go back for. But yeah, I think uh, lots to enjoy. Really charming dining room with that big wood, wood burning oven in the open kitchen. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, and, and a place that, that, you know, certainly a Memorial area favorite, you know, a neighborhood favorite, but, but that maybe has slipped off the radar, uh, you know, time, time to go back, time to sort of reassess and, and really for just kind of humble, classic French fare like that. Really definitely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a new, think about it as an old new favorite. I think that that's what like, Oh, okay. You know, rediscover it as you said. Right. All right. And then just briefly, uh, because I'm going to talk about this some more with Jonathan Horowitz uh, in a few minutes, but the new Treebeards is open in the Memorial area. Uh, this is the first Treebeards that's not downtown. This is the first Treebeards that serves dinner. Um, I would say anyone who has ever worked downtown, and that, that includes me, uh, knows it for kind of classic Cajun Creole kind of comfort food, red beans and rice, shrimp etouffee, gumbo, you know, chicken fried chicken, et cetera, cornbread, et cetera, et cetera. D- dirty rice, all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, what did you think of the new Treebeards in Memorial? So I, I thought that the restaurant was beautiful. I think it's completely different. And not like the other ones aren't beautiful. They've just been there forever, right? Like, so I think they did a wonderful job of um, it's beautiful. The food still has the treat. That's what I was worried about. Like they're going to move and try to change some things up. Um, it, it tastes familiar. Um, so I enjoyed it from that standpoint. I'm going to see what you thought. And then I'm going to talk about some things that um, I maybe didn't enjoy or to point out for people that, you know, are going to be visiting. So we'll keep it cute right now. All right. So let me let me just say I have been eating at Treebeards since the mid 90s, 94, 95, mm-hmm. certainly by 96. I, you know, someone asked me on Instagram, uh, you know, are the red beans and rice good? I, I have no idea. I, I've been eating that dish for 25 years. It tastes like what I expect it to taste like. Right. That's I get exactly it. it. It tastes like Treebeards red beans it, and rice. Right. You're correct. Whether <laughs> yeah. whether that's objectively good or not, I have. I really don't know. I like that kind of slightly spicy and dewy sausage that they put in it. Um, you know, I, I hit it with, you know, I'm not like a, they give you the cheddar cheese. It's not, it's not really my first choice, uh, okay. but I do like it with some, some chopped green onion and a couple of glugs of hot sauce. That's how I eat my, that is how I've eaten my tree beards, red beans and rice since I was 16 or 17. Right. And it is so how I will eat Let's go there real quick. Forever. Let's go there. Let's okay. go there. So, um, if someone asked me that, I would say I would answer the same way because I grew up eating red beans and rice that tastes completely different, right? Like if I go to four different, I love red beans and rice. So what I would say, how do they taste? They taste like tree beards, red beans and rice. Now, when I get it to go, 
I get it to go, eat it the next day, it's 10 times better because that's how I prefer red beans and rice, kind of like a gumbo. Like it, the seasonings have a time to, you know, sit and go, you know, kind of infuse and it just tastes better. Um, but I mean, they're solid. Like, yeah, I, I get the red beans and rice all the time with you. Not, I don't do the cheddar cheese on there. Um, but there's, I'll do the green onions because that's kind of like their signature, the green onions and the cheddar uh, cheese with the red beans and rice, but I can't get with the cheddar cheese with it. I, that's, that's well, so, so here's what's funny is I got, I got one Instagram DM from someone being like, cheddar cheese on red beans and rice is an abomination and you're <laughs> disrespecting this dish by doing that. And then someone else DM me with, I love the cheddar cheese on it. I can't believe you took a picture of it without the cheddar cheese on it. So opinions vary, apparently. It varies, yes, yes. Let me, let me just say, this is a free country and you can eat your tree beers, red beans and rice with or without <laughs> cheese. You as you <laughs> no, no judgment from me. Um, and then the other thing is they, they have a whole new bar menu for this location that Matt Marcus did, who we know from the Eatsy Boys and Eighth Wonder Brewery. And I tried a whole bunch of that stuff, the, the shrimp and crab queso, uh, the crab dip, which is apparently his grandmother's recipe. Um, they're doing trice fried French fries, which, you know, when the Itzy Boys had their cafe in Montrose for a couple of years, the French fries were among the best in Houston. Uh, these are also excellent. They're twice fried, you know, hand cut, all that. So a lot to like on that little bar menu. And of course, Linda Salinas, who is on the show, all the time did the cocktails and, and, you know, I've Linda's a friend of mine, obviously I think her cocktails are delicious. I had a blackberry ginger margarita that I really enjoyed as well as an old fashioned. that was that right balance of kind of, you know, you know, bourbony and sweet and, and all things that I like about that cocktail. So that kind of, I went for lunch, so I didn't do cocktails. So oh, I'm, I'll have okay. to try it next time. Yeah. All right. You said you had a couple of notes for them. What, what was your, what were the things you think that they need to improve on? Well, I just think because it is a different location, they it literally is, it's a new location. They're doing business as usual, right? Um, but it's a really large restaurant. And um, so, you, you know, you can order at the bar when you first come in, or you can go and walk down and, and do the um, order and then go down and um, get your drinks and to be seated. And there are the guys that are the bus guys that are cleaning the tables, bringing you the, the food. There's no one. So if you need water, I mean, there's one place to get water and that's all the way back up at the front. Um, if you want um, something from the bar, the only way that you get something from the bar is if you're seated at the bar and there's so many bar tables. I think that that's going to be, so now you're in a location where there's new customers that have never, they've heard of tree beards, never have ventured to tree beards, or, you know, that's not how we're used to doing, um, you know, bar service. So I'm looking at people, even we were kind of sitting at the bar, um, like, uh, do we go over there? No one ever came then. So I kind of asked for the manager and asked her what the system was and told her who I was. And why I was asking. So they're not planning on doing that right now um, where uh, it's self-serve. So you would have to get up, go get the water, um, come back and sit down. 
you'd have to go up to the bar. So think about people sitting at the bar. I'm eating. And then the people that are sitting on outside, they got to come lean over me to get, I just, I, I, it'll be very interesting to see how that works. I don't think that in that area with all the restaurants, I don't think people are going to be ready for that. And not because that they wouldn't be open to it. That's just not what you were, would be expecting, right? You're like, why are these people ignoring me? So right, I just right. think so, that they're going to have issues with that. Right. So we should, we should say downtown in a lunch context, when you're, you're, you know, you go through the line and you're trying to get in and out and back to the office, you know, a self-serve refill for water is probably convenient in a, especially in a dinner context at the Memorial location where you may want to have a second cocktail or you may want to contemplate dessert, just someone, you know, even if you've got to go up and order at the counter, that's fine. I, but, but that kind of hop dotty style semi-service where they come check on you a couple of times and maybe bring you a refill or sell you another drink or another glass of wine or whatever, uh, that might be a model for them to consider. And of course, since I was there, uh, with Jonathan, we we had that experience, right? The bartender right, came and yeah. checked on us a couple of times. But no, I, I agree with you. It would certainly be convenient for them to have some hybrid service model, especially at dinner, that, that makes it, or or at least, you know, give us a, a couple extra stations for water and tea refills that makes that a mm-hmm. little easier for people. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I thought everything was solid. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I'll go back. I'm glad to have them <laughs> outside the loop. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I I like the ability to have uh tree beards for dinner. I'm yeah. I'm excited about that. It's it's really not that far uh even from inside the loop. You know, it's Bunker Hill and I ten, super convenient. And uh yeah, I think I think I'll be you know, not all the time, but you know. It's it's You'll certainly appealing in that okay. yeah, and that patio is nice and it's mm-hmm. it's easy to get to. So yeah, I think that'll be in my that'll be in the rotation. All right, Felice, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I look forward to the next time we dine and have fun and have some cocktails. Absolutely. All right, and I will be right back with Jonathan Horowitz. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ranch Rider Spirits. Forget hard seltzers. There is a new canned cocktail available in the Houston market. Trust me when I say you are going to want to try these. Ranch Rider Spirits is an Austin-based, real canned cocktail made with premium spirits, sparkling water, fresh-squeezed citrus, and not a drop of added sugar. Plus, they're gluten-free and have 6% alcohol by volume. The three flavors include ranch water, tequila paloma, and the Chilton. Whether you're out on an adventure, relaxing by the pool, or just looking for something better for you than a seltzer, Ranch Rider Spirits is the can to grab. Available at local liquor stores, including all specs, twin liquor locations, and select Total Wine, Liquor Depot, Goody Goody Liquor, Pinkies, and Cactus Liquor locations. For a full retail list, visit RanchRiderSpirits.com. I am joined this week by the founder of Convive Hospitality Consulting. We follow him on Instagram at jhorowitz underscore htx. Jonathan Horowitz, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. Thanks for uh, having me back. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. 
let me just kind of catch people up. I think the last time you were on the show, you were the president of Legacy Restaurants, which is the company that owns Ninfas and Antones. And from my perspective, you had a, a good run there. You, yeah. you renovated you renovated the original Ninfas. Uh, you opened a second location in Uptown. You made some changes at Antone's uh, that improved the food. You started distributing in Austin. What about kind of your time at Legacy made it seem like it was time to move on and, and start your own thing? Yeah, so I think there were a number of different factors that played into that ultimate decision. Um, but to your point, yeah, I was there almost five years and we did a lot. Um, we expanded a fair amount. We made some changes. We added the new Ninfas. We added a, an Antones in uh, the medical center and we launched uh, the concept Tacos y Tortas in the uh, understory downtown. So, you know, last year, um, seems like forever ago now, but it was only last year. Uh, we actually launched, you know, uh, three new restaurants. So uh, that was interesting and fulfilling and rewarding. And uh, it was it was cool. Um, and I think uh, ultimately uh, the owner of the company, uh, Neil Morgan, um, had kind of made some decisions in terms of what his future plans were um, in terms of additional future growth and, and things like that. And that didn't really, you know, jive completely with what I had had in mind and, and what I was hoping to do, you know, going forward. So I guess it was towards the end of 2019, probably, I guess, about a year ago now, um, you know, started kind of thinking about what was going to come next and what the best, um, you know, move would be going forward. And I had considered the idea of you know, launching my own uh, consulting business for a while. And this kind of seems like the right time. Obviously, that was before the pandemic and before everything happened in uh, February and March, uh, etc. So at the time, it seemed like a great idea. Um, because, you know, essentially, I'd had about 15 years of experience uh, in the business locally and uh, have been, you know, as you know, really involved in in the local community and the restaurant association and everything else. And was very fortunate to have a lot of contacts and experiences and things. And I figured, you know, at this point, uh, I probably was in a good a position as I could be to, to launch my own, uh, venture. Um, and so I did that, uh, essentially on February 1st. So I had about six weeks before the entire industry <laughs> shut down. <laughs> right. So, so, I guess talk to me a little bit about kind of what you're you're seeing in terms of, of clients. I mean, I you know, Felice and I were we're just talking about the new tree beards, and I know you sure. had a hand in a hand in that. So, you know, you've got a, a restaurant with an established reputation and and recipes and, and all that. So what is so what do what do you sort of bring to, to help them launch that new venture? Sure. So I had actually um uh, gotten to know uh, Charles and Joe Lee Stineford, the owners of, of Treebeards, prior to the shutdown. So they were actually one of my first clients uh, very early on. And uh, they reached out because they were looking for assistance uh, on food and beverage, uh, most notably uh, dinner and 
full service bar because the the new location that they launched out uh, off of Bunker Hill um, was the first time in 40 plus years that the Treebeard's concept was going to do dinner because uh, they've had five locations downtown for a really long time and they've basically been lunch only. And so they were launching dinner service. So they wanted some help with that. Um, also launching a full bar, which they'd never really had. Uh, and so they wanted some help with that. And then also just kind of general uh, operational things that they could potentially do to help improve their business. Um, so I kind of compiled a bit of a team that you're uh, obviously aware of, Matt Marcus, uh, as a consulting chef uh, from uh, Eatsy Boys and 8th Wonder Brewery, and then also Linda Salinas on the bar side, uh, whom I've worked with before and known for many, many years. Uh, and so we kind of all put our heads together and helped them uh, get the new tree beards launched. Uh, and in the course of all of that, again, <laughs> pre-pandemic, through my um, contacts at the Texans and Aramark, um, when I had kind of helped get uh, Minfas and Antones into the NRG Stadium last year, we also started talking about putting tree beards in the stadium for this upcoming season, current season, I guess now, uh, which we did, although it looks, as you would imagine, completely different as what we had intended, since there's only, I don't know, 15,000 fans at, at the most in the stands, and it's pretty sparse. Uh, but hopefully, you know, next year, uh, they'll have a great, you know, full season and, and be able to have tree beards uh, in the stadium as well. So that's kind of what I've been doing with them over the past, you know, six plus months or so. Right. And and I guess you're, it's a different it's a different thing working with an established restaurant than, than a new restaurant, right? They're looking very for much. Different, so. uh, yeah. So what, what are some of the things like a new restaurant's looking for that's different than what an established restaurant? Is? Well, I mean, really uh, everything is completely different in that uh, depending on who the operator is. Uh, if it's somebody really just starting out, you know, first go at it. Um, it's everything from, design and construction and build out and, and then you get into uh, menu building, uh, costing, um, setting up the operational structure, uh, and then kind of back of house things in terms of making sure they have accounting support and legal and payroll and, you know, all of those things that go on kind of behind the scenes that have to be there and, and you know, you need in order to to run the operations. Um, and so I'm kind of doing that right now with um, the Palace Social Project on Bel Air Boulevard, which is the remake of, of the old Palace uh, bowling lanes. Um, and so that's gonna be a, a massive, it is a massive project, um, 30,000 square feet of kind of entertainment venue with bowling and restaurant and bar and uh, arcade and all kinds of other stuff going on. So, and they're, essentially starting from scratch. So we're doing all of those things um, in terms of that project. And then, you know, there's a little bit of everything in between. I've worked with uh, some small bakery startups and things like that that are going on right now. And uh, then also some more um, established brands. And so it's one thing that I have learned even through all of this craziness this year is that uh, every project is completely unique. It's really, really interesting. Um, and it's very challenging. I mean, it's fun. It's 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 fun that they're so different and and unique in, in what they're looking for. 
Yeah, can we can we talk about the Palace Social uh, project just a little bit? I mean, yeah, I, I I can't I can't you know give away the farm, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get in trouble with uh, your friends over at Public Content who are handling uh, <laughs> right. that project. Well, um, right. I mean, they they've announced kind of the basics and that the sure. brand Hildebrand is going to be exactly from Trinity is going to be working on that. Um, yeah, yep. but you know there there are these kind of you know, fancy bowling concepts scattered around the city. True. So when you're going into a project like that, do you kind of look at the state of the market and figure out how a new entrant can sort of differentiate itself? Yeah. And, you know, there, there are obviously different kinds of, of concepts um, that, that play in this space. You've got Bowlmore actually, which is literally right around the corner from the new tree beards uh, out on Bunker Hill and places like Pinstripes and Lucky Strike and Bowl and Barrel, and there's a lot of them. And, you know, for the most part, uh, a lot of those are kind of the adult version. They're really geared more towards the adults than they are the kids. Um, and, you know, the thought process behind Palace is that it really wants to be family friendly. Um, it really wants to appeal to all cross-sections, age ranges, demographics. So there's Things like obviously the bowling, but there will be good restaurant food as opposed to just kind of bar snacking, you know, type food. And Ryan is obviously spearheading um, the, the culinary side. Uh, there'll be a bar, you know, really good spirits, craft beers, things like that. A um, couple of golf simulators. Um, there's an esports room for for gaming or D ride. You know, one of those immersive rides that you sit in and, and watch the screen, everything moves around and stuff. So, and then an arcade for the kids. So there's, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, what I'm hoping that we can create there is a place where people will come and actually come have dinner, even if they're not participating in some other activity, right? Bring the family in for dinner because it's good food and it's convenient and it's neighborhood and it's great. Uh, not because you're bowling or because you're going for the arcade. Uh, and our neighbor will be Dish Society, right? So they're opening next door in the same building. Um, and I think it's going to be a great draw for, for that area. Uh, it's actually, you know, basically my neighborhood. So I'm, I'm the target demographic, really, uh, for what we're creating there. <laughs> yeah, right. You're, you're a, a father with, with That's you right. know, a kid and, and yeah. someplace to go and uh, right. have a good meal. Who, who grew up bowling at Palace Bowling Lanes. I mean, literally, you know, yeah. since he since he could walk, I mean, we were going to Palace Bowling Lanes. So that's, you know, the, the one cool thing, and I, I kind of equate this to kind of Ninfas, Antones, Treebeards, um, is there's a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, there's so many people that grew up, you know, like, like my son who grew up going to Palace and, and bowling. So there's a lot of nostalgia there. Um, and the, and the entire area, the whole neighborhood's really anxious for it to, to get up and running. So it's a, it's a cool project. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then are there, are there other sort of upcoming projects? Is, is there maybe one other thing you can sort of, uh, preview for us or, or is it all kind of hush hush? Sure. No, actually I've got a couple others, um, that are very interesting. Uh, you know, one of them actually is, um, the, the, renovation of the JCC um, the, in Myerland, the Jewish Community Center. They uh, are in the process of doing a massive uh, renovation after the damages suffered during Harvey. 
Um, and so I'm working with their teams right now um, to help them design their new uh, cafe and then also a uh, culinary studio that's going to be used for um, uh, cooking classes and camps and things like that. So th that's that's a, a really neat project, um, which I think is going to be fantastic. Uh, and then also um, there's a new uh, bakery. Um, to, to I wouldn't say so much a bakery, but a, uh, a cookie shop, um, which is opening uh, in the Heights area. It's called the Bearded Baker. Uh, and he'll be opening very, very soon, within a week or so. Um, and uh, I'm working with him right now on um, uh, getting him up and running, uh, helping him hire right now. In fact, I was doing some interviews earlier today to try to get him some staff um, so that he can open up. And he does really awesome kind of high-end uh, decorated cookies um, that are really beautiful and tasty. I can attest to the fact. That <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that they're, yeah. I mean, but, but that's kind of an interesting project, right? Cause he's this kind of Instagram sensation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. with a ton of followers who's been doing kind of the home baking thing. Right. Who's taking that next step. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's a big step. It's that tricky. It's like, how do you turn that passion project into a sustainable business? Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a very, it's obviously a very niche product, uh, but he's got a really good following. Uh, and, you know, it helps to have that kind of built in business ready to go. And now, obviously, it gives him a, a more formalized place to do his work to, you know, get it out of the house um, and, and create that storefront business where people can actually go and um, do their ordering and see the products and taste things and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, he's got a good opportunity to be successful because he's really got that uh, built-in following that's been going on for a number of years. And he came out of kind of corporate world um, like like many others, you know. Uh, look at Tassos at, at Breadman. He was a consultant, big five consultant for probably close to 20 years. Uh, the guys that I work with at uh, Chipmunk Baking that do the, um, uh, the low low carb, you know, uh, gluten-free keto, uh, uh, cookies. Um, they came out of, uh, all different careers as well. And are, are, they're launching their new bakery, uh, God, next week or the week after we're, we're just about done with construction and everything there too. So that's another one that's, uh, uh launching very soon. A lot of activity right now. Yeah, it's, well, that, that comment actually moves me into kind of the, the other phase of this, which is, you know, we're sort of beyond your specific clients. I mean, you have like a 30,000 foot view of the, the restaurant industry from your experience, from your ties to the Houston and Texas Restaurant Association. I mean, how would you kind of describe the mood out there? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, you had people like David Chang and maybe some others being like 75% of independent restaurants are going to close. Um, I think here in Houston and maybe in Texas in general, we're in a slightly better position because we've moved to back to indoor dining more quickly. And I think people feel, well, not everybody, but I think there, there's a group of people who feel pretty good about participating in that. So, so what's your kind of sense about where we're at? Yeah. So I, I, I see, I really see two sides of it. And I, I think to your point, you're right. Uh, we did kind of open up on the early side. Um, which, you know, had its own pros and cons, obviously. Um, 
But it, it's interesting because I was talking to some folks in the past couple of weeks about this. And I think in the, in the very early stages, um, like you said, like the, the David Changs of the world were like, you know, it's over. This is it. You know, we're never going to recover. It's going to be awful. And we were talking about up to 50% or so of, of restaurants closing. And it hasn't, it hasn't turned out to be quite that bad. Um, I feel like we've, we've migrated a little bit from that completely, oh God, you know, panic mode. This is horrible. It's over. We're never going to make it to kind of, a uh, through kind of a survival phase and now sort of an adaptation phase. And I think we've, we've kind of entered that adaptation phase where businesses that have made it this far, uh, have figured it out for the most part. They've, they've adjusted their models accordingly. They've changed their labor models. Uh, they're doing more takeout and delivery. They're doing alcohol to go, you know, all of those things that kind of were made allowable, uh, in order to help restaurant, um, businesses survive. Uh, it's been a lot tougher on the bars, obviously, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, but the, the restaurants that have been able to adapt, uh, have made it this far. And I think you're seeing a little bit of increased traffic as some people in the community feel a little bit more comfortable with going out to dining. I think it's going to be a long time. I really do think it's going to be a while before we see dining in traffic back to anywhere near the level it was pre-pandemic. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you know, we haven't figured out the virus yet and we don't have the vaccine, you know, it's still out there, right? We know that. Um, and so many more people have gotten used to takeout and delivery and restaurants have adapted to technology and people are adopting new technologies and customers are getting more comfortable with it. And so, you know, and a lot of people are going back to cooking and they're, you know, frequenting the grocery store more. I mean, I've seen some stats lately where, uh, the percentage of dollars that are being spent in restaurants has gone down while percentage of dollars being spent at grocery stores has gone up as you might expect. Um, I did see a couple of stats recently. In fact, uh, I'm doing a real estate panel and uh, I've got a couple of slides from the national restaurant association that talk about consumer sentiment essentially. And the demand is way up here people feel like they're not able to go to restaurants like they used to, and they want to, the demand is really, really high, but the, uh, the number of people who are actually doing it is quite low because they're still nervous about just being out there. Um, and it's tough. I mean, it, it's, it's really difficult. The other stat I did see, I'll just mention is that they did a big survey of restaurant owners and they asked, if nothing changes in terms of consumer traffic and the business that you're doing right now, and this was uh, September, if the business doesn't change for the next six months, how many of you think that you're going to be closed after the next six months? And 40% responded that if things don't change, if it doesn't get better, 40% said they didn't think they'd be there in six months. So that's sobering because it's got to get better because what, what's going on right now is not sustainable from a business perspective. It's just really not sustainable in the long term. Um, we haven't seen additional stimulus from the government PPP stuff, you know, that was designed for eight weeks. Right. And now we're, we're in month seven. And so it's tough. I mean, it, seeing those kind of responses, um, 
gives you an idea that we're not out of the woods yet. So it's still it's still precarious for a lot of uh, small businesses. Yeah, it's an interesting right. I mean, nobody puts together a business plan and expects fifty percent revenue. Right? That's not that's yeah. not how you right. That's not how you figure out your expenses and your costs. And yeah, right. You you expect to be operating at one hundred percent. And and I agree with you. I I don't think that we'll be back to a hundred percent anytime soon. And, and even as someone who's like actively dining in restaurants on a regular basis, I don't want to be at a restaurant that's a hundred percent. Right. I don't, right. I don't want to feel right. I, I, I want that separation between tables or the plexiglass or the, the whatever. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I almost, I, this sounds like a political statement, but I almost feel sort of obligated. It's like the virus is real it's still out there. We still have to wear masks. We still have to wash our hands. We still have to do all these things. And so, but as a diner, I mean, I just, you know, I've been to, you know, I've been to the new places. I've been to Blue Dorn. I've been to Ostia. I've been to Sin Chow and Killens. Yeah. And there's undeniably an excitement in the room about being in these new places and trying these new dishes. And, and, you know, so there's, there's certainly a section to the people who want to be out and about, oh, but then, but then there's people who like not at all, right? Yeah, and and you know there there's going to be that separation for a long period of time. I mean, I see it every day, you know, posted on Instagram and Facebook. You see people posting about parties and birthdays and celebrations and everything, where big groups of people, no masks, you know, whatever. And I guess you know, for a lot of people, they've just decided that it's you, you know the the, the, the cure is worth worse than the disease. And, you know, people are making their own choices that way. Uh, and I think until it really hits home, you know, for a lot of those folks personally, um, in, in one form or fashion, then they're just going to go out and do it. Uh, on the one hand, business owners like to see that, right. Cause they need the revenue and they want people out and about. Um, but you worry because, you know, we're seeing numbers tick, tick up again. Um, you know, and, and, you just can't argue with the numbers, right? The numbers are what they are. Um, math, math is tough that way. It's just kind of <laughs> the way it goes. And, and it's, you know, it's right now, it's not headed in the right direction, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about this recently. I, I had it in July. Um, and I, you know, I'm a statistic <laughs> at this point and uh, I'm still, still dealing with it. It's, it's almost four months later for me now and I'm still dealing, dealing with it. So I don't, I don't recommend it. I don't wish it on anybody. It, you know, it's not fun. Um, but I also know that people feel like they've got to get out there and live and people need to do business. So it's, it's a tough, tough kind of push and pull there. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've thought about this a lot um, because I, right. I, I don't want to get the virus, right. I've, I've got risk factors, you know, I'm overweight. I'm sure I'm over 40. I'm, I'm all of these things that are supposed to be not good for you. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do feel like, you know, these employees are out there, you know, potentially risking their health. I want these restaurants to survive. And, and I guess fundamentally, like I feel, you know, as long as there's that social distancing in place between that keeps me kind of separate from other diners, or as long as I can eat outside, I, I feel safe at restaurants. Like I don't think the staff is going to get me sick. And I think restaurants are doing their part 
for the most part to to keep people safe the the vast vast majority are and they are and and you know there was a long time there and it's still the case where we talked about you know the fact that it was probably safer to be out in a restaurant than it was to be out you know walking around uh anywhere else you know in, in, in any other kind of business because the restaurants put so much focus on health and safety which they do anyway, right? It's one of the most heavily regulated businesses out there. You got the health department coming in all the time, all these rules and regulations that you've got to um, maintain and to follow and, and just to operate a restaurant in the first place, forget about the pandemic. Um, it's a very safe place to be anyway. Uh, and then restaurants that reopened you know, this summer bent over backwards and the expense that they went through to, to, to make sure everything was safe and to get their employees uh, in a, in a place where they could safely serve customers. Um, you know, it's very expensive and it's very daunting, but it's, it is a very, um, safe, you know, thing to do, particularly if you can eat outside. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, kind of being in the, in the real estate side of things as well, um, the demand for spaces with patios or with drive-throughs, you know, or anything that opens to the outside, you know, the, the, patio windows that you can open or whatever, I mean, it has become extraordinarily valuable. It's such a hot commodity right now. And it's very difficult to find uh, those kind of good spots that have, you know, really great patios because, you know, we're fortunate here in Houston that you can eat outside just about year round. I mean, there, there are very few days when people don't want to eat outside. And now uh, it's going to be even more important to have that ability just to maintain business at whatever level you can. Well, yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask you. So, as as people are kind of looking to open new locations, I, I mean, they're, they've got to be taking all of these factors into consideration, right? They're, yeah, you have. It's to. not gonna it's not gonna end. Like, even if the restaurant's not gonna open for six months or a year, yeah, you still have to be. That still has to be a factor in your decision. Right, right, and we're and you know we're we're looking at all of those things in terms of you know future um, concepts that will be opening. Uh, again, uh, outside dining, uh, patios, um, setting things up for takeout and delivery, uh, having, you know, online ordering platforms, you know, all of those things that help make the customer experience smoother, better, faster, more convenient. And I think, you know, looking at the overall trend of the industry, even pre-pandemic, it was trending more towards fast, casual, convenient, you know, healthy, uh, technologically astute places where, um, you know, there was a lot of convenience and a lot of um, value proposition. And I think we're going to see that even more. Places will be smaller. Uh, they'll be designed more for takeout, third-party delivery. You're seeing the rise of ghost kitchens, you know, things like that. Um, and I think that will just, uh, this this whole experience is really, pushing that change in the industry a lot faster. It was coming, but this really accelerated that trajectory for sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I know you said you, you know, 40% of operators in a recent poll are concerned they might not make it six months, but if things don't change, I mean, if, if, if everything stayed exactly the way it is today and they didn't get any assistance or help or anything, then it's scary. Right. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, what comes with the election and everything, but it, sure. you know, there might be, there might be stimulus, you know, when it's not a 
when it's not being used as a wedge issue in a campaign, there might be some consensus. Can't wait for the camp uh, the election to be over. Yeah, <laughs> say this um, every four years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what? I mean, but but are you still seeing interest from people who want to like, even knowing all of the risks and all of the challenges? I mean, you're still seeing people that want to open new restaurants. Yeah, I mean, you know, restaurant bar people are just goofy as all hell anyway. So I mean. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason. People, when you, when they get the bug, you know, it's like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I, I think, um, I don't think you're seeing quite as many people jump into the industry for the first time from something else. Right. You know, if you, if you've been a stockbroker for 20 years, you're probably not going to open your first restaurant in the next six months. Um, I think what you're seeing is a lot of existing operators taking stock of their situation, uh, you know, doing an analysis and saying, you know what, um, I've been able to make it this far through this entire crazy year. I've got some resources. I've got a good brand. I've got a good product. Now would probably be a good time for me to consider expanding. Maybe I'll open another location or maybe I'll, you know, tried to do something in this area of town. I've always wanted to go in this area of town and there's some availability now because there's been some turnover. So I think more than likely you'll see existing operators with some good experience some good history, some success, use this as a potential time to take advantage and take the next step and maybe do some expansion. Um, I just, you know, I don't think it's one of those situations where somebody would look at the environment right now and say, you know, uh, I realize I've been a mechanic for all my life, but I've really wanted to open a restaurant. And now's the time. And, and I don't, I don't think we're there yet because now is just not the time. It's, it's not, like you said, if you design a business plan to operate at hundred percent, you know, going into it, you're going to be operating at 50 or 60%. What's the point? You know, I mean, it's just, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But having said that, like we were just talking about, you rattle off the list of names of places that have opened um, in the past couple of months. There's, there's a lot. Um, granted, a lot of those were planned before the pandemic, uh, and they're they're now coming to fruition. But places are still opening. Right. I right. I feel like we're in this kind of in between time now where a lot of the stuff that was planned a year ago to open in the spring and the summer is now coming online. Right. And, and we've got more stuff coming. I'm, you know, I, I, if I, one of these days I'll, I'll publish my list of like 10 or 15 uh, places that I think are going to open roughly by the end of the year. But uh, you know, but like tiny champions, the, the restaurant from Nancy Cecil yeah. uh, guys is the, is the next one that's going to be really prominent, you know, Tillman's got King Ranch Kitchen that's that's coming soon. So Will that open before the end of the year? Is that I, uh, my understanding is it's pretty well built. So yeah, okay. I think we'll see that. Uh, yeah, I think we'll see that pretty soon. And then there's some other stuff, but uh, it's it's the it's the first half of 2021. I think right, where I I don't have as clear a vision. Yeah, I think it's going to be like TV shows and movies where there's just a you know, when people really weren't able to develop these, these ideas or, or get into right. spaces, we're going to be in a, in a fallow period for a little while. Yeah. I think you're going to see that all of the projects that were in the works at the beginning of this year will, will be done. And like, like I was saying a minute ago, I don't think you're going to see too many more that kind of start, you know, sui generis that just are happening now. 
Um, but uh, I would say, you know, if we if we get, if, if we survive through the election and get through the end of the year and things start turning around and, you know, if we see a vaccine or, you know, whatever it is, uh, if we turn the numbers around, then I think you're going to see people starting to to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea of taking the leap and making the investment. Because um, one thing we know, there's a fair amount of money sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, you know, there, there are people out there who are looking to make investments in things. Uh, I think they're just waiting to see right now. I think uh, there, there, there will be that period of kind of reflection and taking stock of things. Um, but, you know, like I said at the very beginning, that demand stat that, that we saw from the National Restaurant Association about um, the consumer and having this pent up demand to go back out to restaurants, once that trips and once the floodgates kind of reopen, I think we're going to see a, a pretty big time frame where there will be expansion again. Um, it, it'll be kind of turning on the faucet. Um, and maybe that doesn't happen until 22. Um, but, you know, I think we're going to see it. And some of that money comes back into the market and some of that pent up demand, people start expanding to, to meet that pent up demand. Well, Jonathan, I have to say this has been um, a really uh, productive conversation. We're running a little long, um, but I can't let you leave without the lightning round. And since you've done ah. it before, I came up with new questions. Oh, God. Okay. And I, I will say that I have not been prompted in any way. I do not know what these questions are. So No, no. That's, little, that's, the, that's the fun of this. Is I'm a little nervous. I'll you're just a, you're right a savvy, you're a savvy, knowledgeable person. So I'm, I'm going to put you to the test. All I'm right. Five easy questions, five short answers. Jonathan Horowitz, what is your favorite Houston patio? Patio. Oh, goodness. Um, I would have to say right now, and not just because I've worked with them, but I would say Miko's Hot Chicken in the Heights on Durham. All right. What is your favorite Houston burger? Oh, we were just having this conversation the other day. Um, I got to tell you, there are so many great burgers, but I got to say, um, one of my favorites in town is Kenny and Ziggy's. You know, it's an underrated burger, and he I, uses I that like Pat LaFrida beef. Yeah. And it's super tasty. Yeah, no, I really I, like it. 100%. All right. Favorite restaurant in Chinatown? Um, oh, man. That's a tough one. Uh, hang on. I'm going to go with one of the, well, I don't know. One of the pho, one of the pho places. I can, uh, There's a lot of them. No, you know what? I'm, you know what? I'll go with my the old standard because I love the duck Simpson. It's a it's a solid answer. Yeah, uh, I I you know I can't argue with the Peking duck. Yeah. Uh, favorite place for date night? Uh, God, it's been a while since we've gone out. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite place for date night? Other than Quinn's cooking at home. Um, Etoile, like Etoile. Yeah, solid. And then, and then I, I kept the one holdover because I don't think you answered it last time. Uh -oh. When you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Boy, I am quite the traditionalist in that regard. Um, 
kind of mushroom and pepperoni. That's really yeah. It's really about it's all you need, really. No, no, it's my, that's my answer. And I it really yeah, hundred percent. No kidding. Yeah, pepperoni right. and mushroom, solid. It's a solid combination. All right, awesome. Uh, Jonathan, give us the the website for uh, Convive Hospitality. It is convivehc.com. C-O-N-V-I-V-E-H-C.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Great to talk to you. Appreciate yeah. it. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, I appreciate your comments and reviews. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.